my thought is, wow, whoever made that video, right? Man, that's something. Love it. I, I don't think he did. Did you? You didn't. No. <laughs> no, I didn't. No, Not this. But our, You've uh, made some. I, I have. Um, I made last week's that we showed on Easter, but this is a composition of artwork, um, and we owe a gratitude of thanks to our Carol Rojas, who put together all the words on that video. That is amazing video. And then uh, chose, chose the video and put together all the wording for it. And then uh, she's also the author of the media for this series. And so the various images that you see for this series. Um, I'm wowed. <laughs> That's yeah. wonderful. Thank we, you, we are We are duly wowed. <laughs> duly Duly wound. Okay, so let me get rid of that. So and we're not hearing I, I want to. What I want to do is I want to bring up the the chat window, and so give me just a second here, and uh, I'll do that. And then anybody that's going to be chatting with us will be able to to see that. Okay, I think I'm ready. We're in a moderate uh, chat. Uh, Okay, so Ralph has been chatting for the half, past half hour. Good morning. <laughs> good morning, uh, Ralph. It's good to have you with us all the way from Switzerland. Uh, of course, Jeff has put in his comments. I think he and, and Ralph are going back and yes, forth. Yes, they are. So uh, they're, they're just going at it here. I'm going to largely ignore, I think, most of that. <laughs> and we're going to pose our question. Again, good morning if you're just joining us. It's great to have you with us, especially those of you who are viewing by live stream. You may have just stumbled across this broadcast, and it's so exciting uh, that you would tune in and that uh, I, I know that there'll be some things over the next couple of weeks, starting today, that will really um, be effective and make a difference in your life if you will watch this series in the, entitled Forward, No Regrets and Full of Joy. So this morning, we're going to have our uh, first message in that series. I'm really going to be dealing with the, the path of doubt, the path of questioning, and, and I, I think it will be very, very enlightening for a lot of people because I know as a, as a, as a Western evangelical myself growing up, you really weren't allowed to doubt. We were taught that, that, that scriptures were all about believing that they were inerrant and that they were absolute and that there were absolute answers for everything. And, um, and like Paul, I think we've moved, we've moved quite, a, quite a ways from that. Did you know Paul didn't know there was going to be a Bible? He just wrote letters and, and emailed them to the church. <laughs> and emailed them. To the churches, and he didn't know anybody <laughs> was going to gather all that leather bound, bind it and stick it in a thing we call the Bible. You know, so it's, it's very interesting how we think about the Bible. But enough of that, I digress. So here is our starter question for this morning. We're putting it up here, and we'd like all of you to engage with us. If you're here in the sanctuary, we can either bring you the mic or you can just text us your uh, answer uh, or your thoughts and feelings. Those of you in the live stream, we invite you to engage with us at 720-878-3323. Here we go. Or type it into the chat window. The question for this morning is, if you were in a really safe place, 
How would you name the doubts that you are currently struggling with? Interesting question. Mm -hmm. If, you, if were, you were in a really safe place, how would you name the doubts that you are currently struggling with? All right? Now, here's what you can do if you would rather not name any of your doubts um, and have your name attached to it, then you can text us or chat with us and just put anonymous, and we won't mention you know, your name. We don't have to mention your name, but at all. If you don't care, then, uh, you know, if we don't see specifically uh, anonymous, then, you know, we'll feel free perhaps to reference you if, if that's desirable. All right. Question or responses? So mm -hmm. all of you here? are perfectly certain and absolute about everything. <laughs> in your faith, everything's cool. You're strong. You're faithful. You're, you don't have any questions, no doubts. Boy, I'm pastoring the wrong church. <laughs> Here's one. <laughs> I have all kinds of doubts. <laughs> I just saw, uh, it comes back and forth, but I have a lot of self-confidence issues. Self-confidence. Mm -hmm. Yes. So let me follow up on that. So would you say that the doubting that you're sharing with us this morning has more to do with your your self-image than it does with scripture or theology or uh, Jesus per se. It actually Jesus pulls is. me back towards him for guidance and strength to mm -hmm. knowing that I can be confident because he loves me regardless. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Well, of that you are certain that he loves you even in your doubting. Oh, that's neat. Anyone else? In Anybody here? else? It so, may still come up. I know thoughts, once somebody else says something, it right? might start that a happens. thought for you. Let me see what I have Monitoring here. Monitoring the chat. <laughs> We're checking okay. the text. Here we go. Okay. Doubt that I'm worthy of love. Doubt that people will accept me. Mm. Yeah, I have that happen that. I, it goes you had away. that happen? Yeah, I have it, that happen. Does it if, still if, happen? If, 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 when I've done something that I'm not real happy with, mm. then I think somebody else isn't happy with it. Of course, then I have to deal with that, but mm -hmm. it does happen. And so that translates into self-doubt. Self okay, here's one. Um, <clears throat> This is, I'm sure, I'm sure Jeff doesn't mind this being said that if this is him, be, okay, here's his doubt. Being healed, getting back to a normal life, depression at times, and always needing help with things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you've had a rough season. Well, and not just a rough season, but if I, if I could just expand a little bit. One, one day, Jeff and I were sitting in the sanctuary here. This was last year and before... Uh, all of this present medical uh, struggle set in for him. And I don't remember how, how we started, but, but I just 
was sitting, we were sitting in those two chairs back there against the wall. And I just decided I was going to just shut up and listen. I just wasn't going to say anything. Because, you know, usually Jeff being a, a servant uh, who's been in helps ministry for a couple of decades, we've known him for a couple of decades. And so most of our relationship has so depended on what we do together in the church, you know. So he, he does tasks and I do tasks. And, and so our conversation is largely about tasks. But that day I just decided to shut up and listen. And I mean, we got into Jeff's background and, uh, you know, issues with his, you know, medical situation and, uh, you know, marriage and all kinds of stuff that I didn't even know about Jeff. And I wound up sitting there crying in front of him. He's actually brilliant. He's a, a brilliant man. And... Um, you know he struggles with his weight, for instance. He hasn't always been that weight. He was much thinner. And so uh, I just say to you, Jeff, it's been a long, long journey, hasn't it? And uh, you're being very honest and transparent this morning, which I appreciate because somebody listening, somebody listening, that'll be a help to them. Ralph, Ralph says, <clears throat> I doubt whether the church will be able to grow past their current stage of certainty that they know the absolute truth. Yeah, I do too for, for quite a few people. I think a lot of people are so stuck in a certain way of believing that's sacred to them that uh, they may go to their grave. You know, they're just, they're set in concrete. And they're, they're not willing to change. They're not willing to read something different, uh, try something different, expose themselves to a different group of friends or believing. Uh, he follows that with, I doubt that I will truly finish my calling knowing full well that a calling is always bigger than one person, but I have procrastinated and lost some time. Does that plug into a number of things that I could say about that personal struggle myself? Being where I am in my calling of, of being a minister and years that I feel like I've lost and uh, decisions I could have made differently and the place I might be in had I, all of that kind of stuff. And, you know, you don't start over at my age. and <laughs> You're not raising up a big old victorious church of thousands at my age. Most aren't type of thing. And yet, uh, in the early years, that seems like that was our destiny and that's where it was going. Boy, somebody posed the question, so if you had an opportunity to, uh, if, if a thriving great big church was offered to you, do you think you'd take it? And I said, you know, I don't think I would. I don't think I would. I'm so thrilled, so happy, so peaceful, so satisfied, so satiated with where God has me now. That so many of those things I was reaching for and that were important aren't. Someone says, um, <clears throat> regarding their doubts, 
that they're not worthy based on their past. Mm. Really good. Yeah. So the past, so, so remember that everybody. Get, just kind of underline that, past. Okay? Your past. Is past. <laughs> and, your, and your decisions. No, but that's going to be front and center in our message today. Okay? The past. Wrestling with the past. That could be a subtitle for today's message. Wrestling with the past. Uh, Matt had uh, dittoed Ralph on the comment about that the church would... Uh, let's see, how did Ralph word that? Um, grow out of its... Would grow out of their current stage of certainty that they know the absolute truth. Ditto. Yeah, I, mm -hmm. I can't even imagine. Uh, so, okay, here's a big vulnerability. So I have doubts reading my Bible now because I feel like, well, I don't... I'm now realizing there's so much more to it than I ever realized that I feel like I don't know how to read the Bible now. So there you go. <laughs> that was one of my, that's my doubt. I love that. I, I, I think that puts us in a new place of thriving and hunger for the things of God. And, and sort of like a, a child, when a child is an infant, uh, and just into the early ages, one, two, and three, they're so, um, they're so open to things. They haven't developed all the certainties of life and so they're curious and they're very interested obviously that's what is uh, fun to watch their curiosity but of course a danger that we have to protect them against as well I, I think God looks at our our present situations and he says oh be a child dream again dare come on take the risk don't live in certainty I remember back uh, years ago when we were learning from Willie George, this was <clears throat> a lifetime ago, um, but there was about how he was, he's talked about how children just have this natural faith. Mm -hmm. And if you were to say to a child, hey, there's a pink polka dotted elephant in the backyard, they'd go running to go see it, right? Because they're just full of faith. They're just full of faith. So, I mean, I'm, I'm full of faith. I'm just not so sure about reading my Bible. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll be that little child. <laughs> you know, I've mentioned Brian Zahn to you, and great, great author and pastor of a wonderful church back uh, east in, uh, or uh, northeast, I believe, uh, Iowa or Ohio. Uh, but anyway, uh, Brian has written a book in response to the book that was written um, in uh, the 1800s by uh, Sinners in the, in the Hands, hands of, of an, an Angry, angry God. God. Uh, I mean, that became textbook for ministers, especially Western evangelicalism. Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. It's very judgmental and centered on eternal conscious torment and damnation and morality and you've got to get your life right and believe a certain Turn way and burn. all that. <laughs> so, so Brian wrote a response to that book since it was so crazy popular. Brian's book is titled Sinners in the Hands of a Loving God. Woo! He just deconstructs all that mess in, in the, you know, the book Sinners in the Hands of a Angry God 
And it's so wonderful. And so where I was going with that is I read, uh, I, I got a, a text that Brian sent out coming into the weekend here. And it, it had a quote in it. And, this, and, and Brian's comment was, amen. But the quote went something like this. I would much rather believe in the beauty of Christ than the inerrancy of Scripture. I'll just let that that's sit. Like, that's going to set off some that's questions. Not, that's not my message today. But <laughs> All right. So Jim says this. I choose not to doubt. Our life is an accumulation of the consequences of our choices. Doubt usually has negative instead of positive consequences. So he chooses not to doubt. It's great. Anybody else? Anybody? If you were in a really safe place this morning here publicly, might not be it. We understand. <laughs> How would you name the doubts that you are currently struggling with? Okay, I think we're okay. We headed into done. the. Gonna yeah. go go for the message. Yes, I think so. All right. I want to talk to you this morning about a man named Paul. He wrote a very famous letter called Philippians and sent it to an Eastern church. And this letter, particularly the third chapter, forms the basis of our next several weeks together. The letter is addressed to the Christian church in Philippi. Paul, Timothy, and Silas, and perhaps even Luke, first visited Philippi in Greece, Macedonia, during Paul's second missionary journey from Antioch, which occurred between approximately 49 and 51 AD. It was penned while he was in prison, probably in Rome or in Ephesus, and he wrote it about 62 AD. The main message of Philippians, well, he deals with themes like hardship, humility, love, service, hope beyond suffering, and God's glory. And I'm going to take the third chapter, verses 9, 10, and 13 as our text for today and really our kickoff and our springboard for this entire series called Forward. Here we go. And he found in him, not because, and be found in him, not because I have my own righteousness derived from the law, but because I have the righteousness that comes by way of Christ's faithfulness, a righteousness from God that is, in fact, based on Christ's faithfulness. And I might underscore there, Christ's faithfulness, not mine. Christ's faithfulness, not yours. Christ's faithfulness, not your correct believing. Not your certainty in the inerrancy of Scripture, for instance. Paul said, I know I don't have any righteousness. It doesn't come from those things that I just mentioned. 
the righteousness I have comes from Christ's faithfulness. Christ is faithful. Even when I'm unfaithful, he remains faithful. Verse 10, my aim, Paul said, is to know him, not be able to quote the Bible backward and forward. You know what would be helpful, uh, sound people? When, when I'm commenting like this and just pull that scripture verse down because people read ahead, okay? And then they're not paying attention. So just a... I love that Paul is saying, look, here's my aim. Pull that scripture down. I don't want people looking ahead. My aim is to what? Follow, to know him. And and just follow him, love him, know him. Paul's aim was not to read the Bible. Paul's aim was not to study scripture. Paul's aim wasn't to uh, serve in the choir. Paul's aim wasn't to, okay, those, those things are good, but that wasn't his goal. That's not where he set his faith on. That's not what gave him confidence. That's not what uh, gave him a sense of being right with God. He said, all of that for me is based on Christ's faithfulness. You know Jesus has not left you alone. Jesus doesn't leave us to ourselves to work this thing out. Because he knows us. He knows me and you too good. He knows you and I. How do you say that? You and I. He knows me and you. He knows you and me. He knows we're going to blow it. He, he, He knows we have good days and bad days. He knows we're going to after 50 years of following Christ faithfully and loving him and growing up in the church, admit publicly on a microphone in a live stream that goes out all over the country and and in fact different parts of the world that I I doubt the Bible. I, I doubt how I read the Bible. I doubt I'm not confident in In the scripture, I'm not sure anymore when I... I think we need a safe place to admit that. A place without judgment. I think we need to be able to say, I have questions about what I read in the Bible and not feel judged. Because Paul's aim, he says was the righteousness that comes from Christ's faithfulness, not his particular view of the Bible or the scripture or whatever. You realize there wasn't even a Bible back then. So what did Paul believe in? There wasn't a Bible for Paul to believe in the inerrancy of. Okay, I continue. Picking up in verse 10 once again. Now we can put that back up. My aim is to know him, to experience the power of his resurrection, to share in his sufferings, and to be like him in his death. Uh, how ma- <laughs> Good time to bring that scripture down. How many Christians have you heard or have you ever yourself 
gone around and in your personal testimony said, you know what, I'm so excited today about not only following Jesus, but I, I want to experience the power of his resurrection, but I want to share in his suffering. And I want to be like him in his death. Man, I'm excited about that. <laughs> See, I, I think maybe what we think is so important to faith and so important in what we should focus on and be about as Christians is really messed up. Paul was not certain about Scripture. Paul was not focused on all of the triumphalism and how great it's going to be and how good my walk is going to be and what car I'm going to drive and how big my house is and that I'm never sick. He, he wasn't focused on those things. He was focused on one thing, the faithfulness of Jesus to take care of you, to bring you through. And Paul even admits, man, I just want to understand the suffering Jesus went through. I want to understand the depth of what our Lord went through in his death. That's what excites me, Paul said. I'll continue reading now in verse 13. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to obtain this, obtain this, but this one thing I do do. That didn't sound right, did it? This one thing I do, <laughs> forgetting the things that are behind and reaching out for the things that are ahead. Thank you for the scripture. Here's some of the things that we're going to touch on during this series. Denial versus reality. Faith, hope, and love. Trusting beyond knowing. The issue of triumphalism. And yes, I'm even going to have one called your opus. And and my precious brother Ralph, you've got to be tuned in for that one because I will address specifically your comments this morning about the sense of maybe it's too late and you might not finish your calling. It's called the opus, your opus. Okay, I'm not gonna tell you what that means. What are you, if you don't know what the word opus means, just come be in church every week now for the next four weeks. You can't miss once even, because uh, <laughs> there'll be about five messages in this series, and you just, you've got to have them. Now, watch this. Brian McLaren said, and I quote, your descent into doubt could ultimately lead you upward. Your descent into doubt could ultimately lead you upward. I wrestled with this next part of my message a little bit because I'm going to turn the camera and the focus on myself. I don't do that that often. I try to make a funny or whatever. In fact, I have a funny for you. Could we put that, that slide up? So look at this. I got an email this week from, of all people, look at this. I don't know if you can see that, but that's Ecobee. Remember my little story about the furnace? 
last week for Easter and the furnace filter. So I get an email from Ecobee, that's my new thermostat manufacturer, welcome in cleaner, healthier, uh, uh, healthier air. Now that you've installed your Ecobee smart thermostat, there's one more step you could take to improve your indoor air quality and ensure your family breathes easier. Ecobee air filters. They didn't tell me that I was going to spend upwards of $1,000 for my new thermostat because I didn't have the right filter in and I had to call in a specialist because my whole furnace wouldn't work and I about burnt the house down. Thank you very much for this email. Just thought I'd share with you. I digress. Let's go back to my message. I was in a park one day, a young teenager. I was about 14. And one of these big tractor mowers was mowing the lawn of this park. And as it got you know, it was doing its back and forth and mowing. And as it got close enough to me and a couple of my friends were sitting there, the gentleman pulls the tractor up, stops it, and jumps off and comes and starts sharing Jesus. He starts witnessing. Now, I was already a passionate Christ follower. I loved the Lord. I went to church regularly and was serving the Lord. But he started telling me about this church he attends that was crazy wonderful. I mean, powerful services, great preaching, electrifying, hundreds and hundreds of people. The worship and the music was exciting and rich and, oh man, it was something, something else. You've got to come to this church. So, I made a decision to start attending this church. And at the time, it was one of two of the largest churches, really in the Rocky Mountain region, but here in Colorado, one of two what we would call today mega churches, all right? And mega back then was like over 500. That was a big church. Well, this was running 12 to 1,500. It was huge. I mean, they had two, 300 people in the choir, all young people. And the choir director, whoo, he was so dynamic. And they sang and he played the saxophone and it was powerful. I was there a couple of years and all of a sudden my heart was smitten. I was in high school. And I graduated into a class the way they did it. Once you were of age, you graduated with your, your school age, right? So I, I was finishing high school, and the next department or class that I was, would move into was college and career. So they always had a big to-do about it and a ceremony, and we move in now. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm going to go into college and career here at church. And I met Nina. N-I-N-A. All right? It's not Nina. And it's not spelled N-E-N-A, it's N-I-N-A, it should be Nina, but it's Nina. I met Nina Savarino, Nina Montabano Savarino.
My heart was smitten. And here I was, a young teenager. I'd been going to this church for a couple years now. I'm very influential, influential, not, I wasn't influential. I was easily influenced. I mean, everything I saw and heard and watched, I mean, it was like, well, that's, that's God. I mean, that's God. That's God talking, that's God worshiping, that's the way you do God. It's amazing. And I loved God, and I wanted to be pleasing to God, and I wanted to do the right things. Well, through those couple of years, and up until meeting Nina, I was steeped in absolutism, certainty, the inerrancy of Scripture, and in a system that was called shepherding. Shepherding was where everyone in the church had an elder of the church assigned to them, not an older person necessarily, but somebody who was spiritually in the office of an overseer that helped the pastor shepherd the flock. Elders, plurality of elders. Everybody in the church was assigned an elder. You know why? Because any major decision you made, you had to check and, quote, get a witness from the elder that it was okay. Well, with as much as I loved Jesus, that whole system was really rubbing me wrong. Because I'm a pretty independent thinker. I'm a self-made teenager at this age. (laughs) Right? And now I'm falling in love with a woman and I've always wanted to be married. Now, one of the things about all of this is there was heavy-handed. Knowing Jesus was all about doing the right thing, believing the right way, and having the right doctrine. Oh, and holiness. Ooh, holiness. You couldn't have your hair past a certain length Mustaches and beards were frowned upon. The women wore longer skirts, you know, that weren't at all revealing. Holiness, holiness. I heard message after message on holiness. Ooh, I was becoming a mess because I wasn't holy. <laughs> and I had doubts, serious doubts. And I didn't like having to check everything I did with an elder and get approval. And now I'm falling in love. And I don't want somebody telling me I can't like this person, can't love this person, or marry this person. I'm, I'm, I'm imagining that that might be, you know. Well, now, plus, I'm 18 when we met. I turned, I had just turned 19 before we got married. And of course, you had to get that approved by the pastor, and all weddings in that church were done by the pastor, and oh my goodness. There's so much I could say about this time, these years in that church, in that setting, under that heavy-handed movement, 
But I'll just say this, it got to the place we did finally get married, we, we got approval. <laughs> we got approval and I thought to myself, this is my way out. If I get married and I wanna leave, it will be harder because now I'm married and I got somebody with me for them to say no or for me not to have the strength along with her strength we can do it together if I can convince her we should leave this. And see, I was listening to somebody on the radio. I'll tell you who it was. Walter Martin. He's since passed away. He was called the Bible Answer Man. And he had a radio program, a call-in radio program, where you would call in with questions and so forth, and he would answer it. And I was hearing things that were opposite what I was being taught and especially that heavy-handed shepherding stuff going on from the elders. So I kind of had a plan in the back of my mind. Nina and I will get married, and we'll go several months, and we'll get our own place, and then we'll let everybody know. We'll go to the pastor and let him know we're leaving. Now, you got to understand that leading up to that was, oh, my gosh. Months and months of crying and pain and threat and feeling like, oh, if we do this, I mean, I shared it with the best man of my wedding, the, best who, the man who was the best man at my wedding, and he was ingrained in all of this. And he just judged me and said, man, if you leave, you know you're going to get out from underneath the blessing and the covering of Jesus and of God, and the favor's going to leave your life. I mean, it was very threatening. And you say, why don't you just leave, man? Stop going to church. You don't understand. This was cultish. It had that kind of power over us, that kind of strength, and that kind of fear and control. It was devious. But we found it in ourselves to leave. We lost all our friends. We lost the church. We were threatened. We got emails. My best man at my wedding and my, also my best friend, who I had started a company with, bowed out, left the whole thing, and left me. Fast forward. It's 2019, we're in a shopping center, 16,000 square feet. We've just spent uh, probably $100,000 to remodel. Incredible move, kind of the pinnacle of all of our years in ministry. We thought, this is it, we have our grand opening, 360 people. Yeah, I mean, you, you, you remember the day, this was the biggest, this was the best, this was exciting. And then, it starts tanking, and we couldn't hold on to it. And we were just falling apart inside, again feeling threatened, and where was God, and why wasn't it working, and how did he leave us alone in this? And people were leaving the church, and best friends were leaving the church, and we were beginning to, and, and also we were starting to deconstruct in some of our theology one of my trusted elders in the church comes to me, sits down with me privately, 
picks a time where I would be at the office. We go into the sanctuary. We sit down. And because of something I had taught the week prior, he calls me on the carpet on it, and he lets me know, for you to go there and believe that means you can't trust or believe anything in the Bible. You call everything in the Bible to question if you say that and you believe that. You don't have my support anymore. And he never returned. This was somebody that was on our board. This was somebody that was going to run or be the president of our school. (laughs) Now I'm going to fast forward again. This is even more recent. This year. I get a call, actually I call, I haven't seen this individual for a while, in the, conver- in the course of our conversation, I really drilled down because I, I just knew, I knew it just wasn't about a change, there had to be something that this person wasn't attending anymore. And finally, because I had taught something recently and made a statement about Hell, the subject of hell, <laughs> that was the dividing line. That, that crossed a line for them. I get it. I understand it. See, I, d- I don't believe in eternal conscious torment. I, I, don't, I don't believe we can find that in the scripture. I don't believe that we should be teaching that. And, and there's lots of reasons why. But you, but you have to understand my background now. I've deconstructed and come to a position of that. I used to be fiery. Man, I believed in hell. You were there, some of that. (laughs) You'd go to hell if you didn't believe the right way. You'd go to hell if you didn't, you know, weren't attending the right church and getting out from the favor of God and leaving the church and all kinds of things. I was steeped in all of that. I was a dyed-in-the-wool, non-denominational, charismatic, tongue-speaking, Bible-toting, devil-casting-out Why am I sharing all of this? Philippians chapter 3, verse 8. Paul says, in fact, I have come to the conclusion that every association I have had with that which defined me before as a devout, just put your background in there. He says Jew. You understand he was a committed Jew. I mean he was absolute. He believed in inerrancy. He was (laughs) everything was cut and dried. If you weren't of the Jewish faith then you know you were outside the blessing of God. I mean fill in the blanks. That used to define me. It is all far eclipsed by what I have gained in knowing the Messiah. Jesus Christ and his masterful redemption define me now. Religion is like dog poo. It stinks. Avoid stepping in it. Those experiences, and there were many more, I chose those three to share with you. 
I look back on them now, a time in my life that was so hurtful, so painful, so, I mean, like gasping for spiritual air, gasping to, to, to keep living, to keep believing that we could, that we can, that, oh my gosh, it was just terrible. And I look back now and I say, None of that defines me anymore. It's so liberating to be on this side of all of that. That that used to define me, that used to give me meaning, that used to define being a good Christian and a good pastor and a successful pastor is all doo-doo. And I'm careful now not to step back in it. I just stay away from it. It doesn't define me. Why? I have found a new definition for who I am. It's the faithfulness of Jesus. He loves me. He's crazy about me. And my doubts and my fears and my misgivings and my moral missteps and I no longer am afraid of any of that. And you know what's happened? I've fallen more in love with Jesus. I read my Bible more and understand it and get things from it than I ever have. It's such a delight. And you know what I'd like to think? I don't know. I guess I'd have to ask you. I think maybe I might be a nicer person to be around. I know I'm more loving. I know, Jeff, Peter, that I wouldn't have sat there for an hour and a half and cried with you and listened to your story last year because you know what I would have been busy doing? correcting you and telling you that the reason you're where you're at is because of this, 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 and this. You haven't checked all of these boxes. I was a filthy legalist. Forward? This doesn't sound like a message about moving forward, taking the victory. We're going to win. Yay, God's for me. Oh, but it is. You see, God wants us to move forward. God wants you to be fruitful, but not at the expense of being loving. God wants to change dead ends into new beginnings, not through the path of triumphalism and power, rather through humility and love. Susan Cottrell one day walked up to, or called. She relays this story and related it to Brian McLaren, who I quoted earlier. She got a call, a phone call from her daughter, a college student. Her daughter confided that she was attracted to women, and in spite of trying to pray the gay away, she was not changing. Susan, her mother, brought this news to a small group of her closest friends at her church, and they immediately told her that her daughter was sinning, and it would be a sin for her to accept her daughter as gay. She recalls, quote, I was being asked to choose between the two most important parts of my life, my child and my church. Then through tears, she adds, I chose my child. She no longer fit within her church. 
And on top of that, half of her family turned away from her, many refusing to even speak to her again. I lift that story from Brian McLaren's book called Faith After Doubt. Church, church, <laughs> sometimes church is one of the ugliest places that you can go or belong to because of the things we believe and then we blame it on Jesus. If we're going to move forward, it's got to be okay to doubt. If we're going to move forward, it's got to be okay to have a gay family member and not get tossed out of your church. And I can't tell you how many of these personal conversations. I chose this story because had I chosen any of the personal ones that I personally know about and have been approached by church members over, it would be too close to home and you would know who I'm talking about. So I wasn't going to do that. But these exact same things that Susan reported through her story that she shared with Brian has personally happened to me as a pastor or to congregants that I have been responsible for. Now, Philippians chapter 3. Let's look at verse 3. We give circumcision... It's true spiritual meaning. He's talking about the circumcision was the Jewish way of, of cutting away moral filth, of being made righteous. We give circumcision its true spiritual meaning. Our worship is not defined by anything external that would even remotely resemble the law of works and religious rituals. We worship God in the certainty of our redeemed innocence and rejoice in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Does that include a gay person? Does that include a lesbian? Does that include a thief? Does that include somebody who steals from the corporate office? Does that include you in your various bro areas and levels of brokenness and questioning and doubting? Does it include my wife who is questioning scripture and how to read it? Oh. I want to play a song for you. And I want you just to take a few minutes now as this song plays. I want you to wrestle. If you're afraid, it's okay. If you come to tears, it's okay. If you say, man, I don't know if I can go back to that church, it's okay. You say, I, well, I, 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 you're, you're calling into question so many precious things. It's okay. Would you listen to this song? Take the next four minutes, five minutes, and wrestle. Lewis. Such freedom, I have. 